<clears throat> the book of Romans, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to uh, continue kind of introducing the book as, as we go, and uh, if you were here Saturday for the uh, conference, um, some of this will be a review from that, but I'll try to change it up a little bit as well, but um, I'm, we're going to look at the four pillars in Romans uh, just quickly and briefly so that uh, um, we have an idea of what's going on there. And then hopefully the, the goal is next week to start with uh, verse 1 and get into the verse-by-verse verse, uh, starting next week. Um, so in Romans, as we continue the, to lay the book out for you, um, 45, uh, 44 previous books, all been about the nation of Israel, all been about the earth, all been about uh, what's hap- what God is doing through the nation of Israel. And then you come to the book of Romans, the 45th book, starts with the first word, Paul, and and then the title of the book is Romans, so you have quite a jolt in in your reading, if you're just reading through, because now you have God writing to the archenemy of the Jews. You have God writing now to a group of people who he had basically let go and just let them be, and wasn't talking to directly, and yet here we are. So as we uh, come over, you got Romans 1, come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You will have to bear with me. Um, I caught a cold uh, while in the ER uh, from my uh, accident, and so I got a cough and a cold, and um, with the bruised ribs, it hurts to laugh and it hurts to cough. (coughs) So if you see me do that, that's what's going on. I figured out how to alleviate some of it. And if you see me limp, that's okay. It's just the leg catching up. So, um, but the bike's totaled. Anyone care? I get this certain certain friends of mine. We don't care about you. How's the bike? You know. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, good. I'm glad. I love you too. You know. But uh, from all of the feedback from the accident and everything, I would suggest that my riding days are over. And uh, <laughs> so. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I enjoy the, I enjoyed riding because of the freedom and the openness. So I got to get a convertible, and she's like, no, I don't want a convertible. <laughs> so, so we'll a little red convertible will show up out there in the, in the parking lot. Okay, so you'll have to bear with me if I'm not loud enough. It's me because of the cough and the cold and everything. But what's that? Give me a Miata. Is right exactly. Actually, that is what I said. <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 3, if you look here at verse number 9, For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every one take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul has laid in the foundation. And the foundation starts in the book of Romans. And when he lays in the foundation of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, come back to, to Romans 16. When he does this, <clears throat> and he's going to lay in these four pillars, Romans 16, verse 25, and he and begins to lay in this foundation. And by the way, the last weekend, the Bible conference was all about building on the right foundation. When he lays in the foundation here, verse 25, Romans 16, 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to be preaching Christ, but according to. Okay? Christ was preached according to the prophetic program. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. Now we're going to preach Christ according to the what? The revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. So we're going to preach Christ now, but we're going to preach Christ a certain way. We're going to preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. So when Paul lays in the foundations, these four pillars, he, he begins to do that, and when he does that, it's going to be according to the revelation of the mystery. It's not going to be according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're in chapter 16. Look over at chapter 15 of Romans. <clears throat> Romans 15. If you look at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So he was that. Now he's this. He was a minister, earthly ministry, minister of the circumcision. Now he's going to be the minister of the church, the body of Christ. We're going to do something different now. So as he begins to lay in these foundational pillars, there's four of them, and the book of Romans naturally uh, lays itself out in these four sections. Uh, if you come over to back to chapter 3 of Romans, I gave you last time each section has a key verse. Each section is going to deal with the, uh, a satanic policy of evil, attack. Each section is going to give us a, a, a victory statement. Each section is going to link into the next section, and we did all of that. Chapter 3 of Romans, in verse 26, he says, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just <clears throat> and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So the first... The first foundational block here, chapters 1 to 5, is that issue of justification. And it's that issue of being justified. And the, the emphasis over and over in the first five chapters is, is the issue of being just, justified. And by the way, 326, I'll be honest with you, for me, that is probably the key verse of all of Paul's epistles. That the Lord Jesus Christ is just and the justifier of him that believe. Not just the book of Romans, but all of them. Because as we go through, it's very interesting. I, I, Romans sits at this foundation. Come over to Ephesians. The next foundation, the next block of doc, book of doctrine is the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. <clears throat> it's, it's this issue of justification. It is very important to grasp, and as we go through it, we'll, we'll see that. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. How did he quicken you? How did he make you alive that were dead in trespasses and sins? How did that happen? Justification. Jesus Christ. Calvary, right? Verse 2, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Now, notice how Paul does not go through the details of Calvary. He does not, in that passage, he doesn't go through the details of justification. But what does he do? He assumes you've been through the book of Romans to understand that. He uses key little terms to, with his great love. What, that, that's Romans 5 eight, isn't it? But God committed his love toward us and not while we were yet sinners. So Romans is, one of, is a critical book to get. Now, you're not going to get it all the first time you go through it. I'll be honest with you. There's just so much there. Okay? You, you know, you, you just begin to peel it back. <laughs> and you just keep working on it. So come back to the book of Romans. So in Romans, the first block is this issue of justification. And... <clears throat> If you come over to chapter 1, and again, when you come to Romans in your study, you come to new language, you come to new verbiage, you come to this thing about grace and about life, and Gentiles now, and instead of you know, being set apart, they're included and all of this wonderful stuff. Chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in, in the first block, in chapters 1 through 3, you deal with the issue of condemnation. Okay? And what begins to happen is you begin, he begins to lay out and to deal with the different groups of heathen. The heathen, the unsaved. And he lays in, here's what the heathen think in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, he comes in and says, here's what the Boy Scouts think. Here's what the guys who don't live a bad life, human good, it's called. He'll call it. Human evil, here's what they do. Here's human good. Then the rest of 2 into chapter 3, he's going to deal with the, the issue of being a Jew. What do the Jews think? What do they need now? They need to hear Paul's gospel. That's why you come over to chapter 3 and verse number 9, where he says, What then are we, and that's the Jews, Better than they, the Gentiles. No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. That's a court case we'll, we'll be, that'll be presented. So then you come into chapter 4, and in chapter 4, you have that wonderful statement in verse number 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So now we have faith introduced, and it's faith only. There's no activity, there's no working. That's why he just said back up in verse 3 For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was count. Um, I'm sorry, verse 2, verse 1. <laughs> what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found? What did Abraham find out about that doing the works of the flesh? He found out that it didn't work. Ishmael wasn't the case. It had to be Isaac. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, and it was. And so the rest of chapter 4 would deal with the faith. Faith is the issue. And I'll be honest with you, faith has always been the issue with God. No matter where you're at in the scripture, if God looks at Israel and says, If you will believe my word... You do my command. You do what I'm telling you to do. This is what will happen to you. 
okay? Then you come to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is the security of the believer. It's our security, assurance is our present possession. We have it now. We have it right here, right in time. And he begins to go down through. Verse 1 is fantastic. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Not the peace of God, but the peace with God. Now, we have the peace of God later. He'll talk about that later. But here, he's dealing with you because what are you? Well, verse 10, we were enemies, right? Verse 6, we're without strength. We're ungodly. See that? We're enemies with, with, with God. But because of our faith at Calvary, what are we now? We're reconciled back to him. And we have, verse 11, we have received the atonement. That at one <laughs> we're restored back. Then he goes on down through, setting up the case for chapter 6, which starts our next block, chapter 6 through 8. We call that sanctification. We call it identification. Now, because of who we are in Christ and because of Calvary, we have a new identity. We, we've, we, we begin to, to move, chapter 6, and look at verse number 6. Here's the key verse in this section. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There's that issue of identification and that issue of I'm dead. I'm dead to sin. Chapter 6, I'm dead to the law. Whoops. Chapter 6 is sin. Chapter 7 is the law. Chapter 8 is I'm alive. Chapter 8 is the first time you see the Holy Spirit brought into the, the conversation about your walk and your activity. So now we're going we're gonna to live as who we are. We have this identity. We have this ability now to go and to live and to be and to do. We have, <clears throat> we're going to answer the question, how shall I live? How do I live and be consistent with my position, with our position in Christ? First of all, by the way, if you look at verse 3, 6-3, <clears throat> Just give me a second here. I've got to pull this out. This is an, an old notebook I did. I'm using some cheat notes from ages ago. <laughs> okay. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> What's that first word? No. There's some things that we're to know. This isn't a, this isn't a little tingle go up the spine and woo you know. I had a guy one time call me and ask me if our church was filled. Were we a Holy Ghost filled church? I said, well, yeah, we are, but not like you're thinking. He goes, well, how, what do you mean? What do you think I think? I said, well, you tell me what you mean by it. <laughs> and I mean, he was in Acts 2, and that's what he was thinking, charismatic. And I said, yeah, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but just not how you're, you know, we're not running the aisles and doing all that, you know. And he was like, well, then you're not. I said, yeah, we are. And he's like, well, you know, and then we, <coughs> he, hung, he hung up on me, so, <coughs> which was okay. But see, the thing is, is the Holy Spirit, how, how am I going to walk, how am I going to live consistent 
with my position in Christ. I've got to know some things. I've got to know verse 3 and 4 there, where I have hit the co-ness of, the co-oneness of co-death, burial, and resurrection. His death, his burial, his resurrection are mine. I have his life now, the end of verse 4 there, that we should also walk in the newness of life. I have a life to go live now. So now I need to go and live consistent with that position in Christ. So how do I live that position? And how do I do that? Well, what did verse, seven, verse 6 say? That old man is what? Crucified. So when I look at my old man, well, how should I be looking at my old flesh? As what? Crucified. Living that identity. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. No, Again, <laughs> Notice the past tense of that, freed. It doesn't mean you're not, you're, it doesn't say you're not going to sin. Okay? It says your identity, when you look at yourself, is of one of being set freed from that sin. Sin no longer has a dominion over you, verse 14. Look at that. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why not? Why doesn't sin have dominion over you? Why doesn't sin run your life? Because we're under grace not under the law. The law kept that sin issue right in front of you. Grace says, I paid for it. It's done. Now go live in the new identity that I've given you. See? Verse 11. I'm I'm sorry, verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, boy, there's that word again, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death have no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin, how many times? Once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead in the deed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a fantastic verse. That is how you're to be perceiving yourself. Likewise, folks, do we understand that Christ died unto sin one time, once? Well, because I have an, my identity is the same as his identity now, then guess what? I ought to count, reckon it to be so. Count it to be so for me too. <clears throat> I, t- I said this a couple months ago. The hardest thing in all of this is believing the verses. It really is. We read them. You read that verse 11, we've all read it, but you've got to believe it to be so. So when stuff comes up in life, because it does, you know, how do you think about it? Well, you're to think with the mind of Christ. How does Christ think about it? Just like this right here. This is how he thinks about it. That helps you, by the way. <clears throat> Hold on to Romans 11. We're going to take a detour real quick. Look over to Ephesians 6. Something for you to think about. Look at Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. Just something to think about. We are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, aren't we? We are to take that old man, the lust thereof, he's been crucified. Now look at Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we wrestle not against what? Now stop there. Now, usually when we, we go right into the, but against principalities and powers, and we say, you know, our fight's not with each other, and blah, 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 and off we go. And that's true. 
But think about it in light of Romans 6, verse 11. What do we wrestle with ourselves? With our flesh and blood, don't we? See that? Pull that out, pull that piece of that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Why don't we wrestle against the flesh and the blood? What's Romans 6 taught us? That's been crucified. So it's a different way to think about this old piece of flesh here. We have to live in it. We have to walk in it. Some days you, you just think about that. I don't know. It's something I saw kind of caught. I'll go back to Romans 6. So in Romans 6, we've got to learn our position. This is who we are. And we're going to live consistent with that position. Then in chapter 7, we're going to live, we're going to live consistent with the program of grace. We're not going to live under the law. <clears throat> Romans 7, if you look down there at verse 6, he says, But now we are delivered from the law. That's what we, that's what we are. We're going to learn our position, and now we're going to go play the game of life according to the right rules and regulations, which is grace and not the law. We're going to come along and we're going to say, you know what? We're not going to struggle with trying to maintain ordinances and ceremonies and whatnots and to, to do. By the way, Paul gives, he gives us commandments to do in grace. It isn't that you can just go live your life any way you want to. I've told you over and over again, God is very interested in how you live your life. That's why he get. somebody one time told me, you know, you guys, Paul's epistles, 99% of it is about living life, and I, you know, and 1% is about how to get saved. I said, yeah, how many times you got to be told how to get saved? How many times do you need to be saved? Just one time. You have five chapters, you're done. Now the rest of your life is learning what? Who you are and how to go live it and, and live appropriately. On Tuesday nights, we're going through Ephesians 1 and one of the, the, the spiritual blessings there and that issue of acceptance we talked about that, not, well, not Tuesday night because I was laying in the hospital, but the last Tuesday night and about the issue of acceptance and that issue there of, hey, the law never gives you acceptance. They're always failing. Grace comes along and says, here it is, and our acceptance is who we are in Christ. We put unrealistic expectations on each other, on ourselves. Grace comes along and says, don't do that. All your expectations have been met in Christ. Then you come to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, now we're going we're gonna to live consistent with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you look there at verse number 2, 8-2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that wonderful? The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Notice it's a capital S. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come in and go to work. The Holy Spirit works with the Word. He does never works apart from the Word. So as you renew your mind and put the Word of God into your, into your inner man, rightly divided, He's going to use it and He's going to put it to work. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for, sin, and for sin, 
condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 4 gets a lot of people get all upset about that, because how does the law, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, notice those next two words carefully, in us. The, the Spirit comes in, uses that word, he, that word begins to work in your inner man, and it begins to do what the law, the law is righteous. Chapter 7, we didn't look at it. The law is righteous. The law has been there since God. Okay? That law has a righteous, a right to do what's right. Grace comes along and says, here, we're going to do this inside you. And then you're naturally, they're going to turn over here and go do it with other folks. If you drop down to verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So which way should we be? How should our thinking be? It should be in the spiritual category, not the carnal category. Now, do we get in the carnal? Yeah. You ask my wife, Wednesday was a rough day for me because I went and visited my baby in the tow yard. And had to say goodbye to her. You know? And then my, Linda looks at me and goes, I'm your baby. I said, you're baby two. She's baby one, you're baby two. <laughs> okay? She's been elevated to baby one now. Okay? So, you know, and <clears throat> it's, that's all flesh. It's just two wheels. I understand that. You know? And then, then the emails come in from mom and, you know, dad. dad. Dad sent me a note. He says, son, if you get back on a bike... I'm be visiting your mother in jail after I do your funeral. <laughs> so anyway, so I was like, okay, I get the point, you know. Point well taken. So the thing is, is do we get there? Sure we do. Okay, we still got this old man that's warring against the new man. But, you know, Spurgeon said it, the dog you feed is the dog that's going to win. So if you're feeding that flesh, the flesh is going to win. That means you're reading the verses, you're just not obeying the verses. So in, chapter, in, in the block here of 6, 7, and 8, that's really our identity. Most Christians, most believers, most rightly dividing grace believers never leave 5. They never get into 6, 7, and 8. Most of them just stop right here. Or they bypass 6, 7, and 8 and run to 9, 10, and 11, and 12 to 16. <clears throat> Usually they go from here to here, and I'll show you why in just a minute, and then they wonder why their life's falling apart. What part are they missing? They're, they're understanding their identity. That's what they're missing. Okay? I got ahead of myself a little bit there, but make that point. So the next section, 9 through 11... The question then is, is, okay, what about Israel? We have had 44 books about Israel. What's happened to her? Is God <clears throat> just in doing what he, did with, what he did with Israel? Or is he wrong to do that? And what chapters 9, 10, 11 do is they give us a brief history from, by the Apostle Paul of Israel. And I'll be honest with you, Philippians chapter 3, 
There's no better other person to do that than the Apostle Paul because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews when he gives his credentials there. Galatians 1, he was up in the Jews' religion and, you know, and so forth. So he gives us a history. If you come over to chapter 9 of, of Romans. Now, again, folks, I'm just giving you the highlights as best I can. We're going to go through each of these sections thoroughly, I promise you. We'll be here 10 years, okay? So just relax. I'm just kidding. Hopefully just five. <coughs> Maybe three, <laughs> okay? I, I, I was in school in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and I uh, was looking at their New, Test- their New Testament survey class because you had to take it. And spent a lot of time, whole, almost a whole semester in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we spent like six weeks in Paul's epistles and then the rest of the time in the Hebrew epistles. And, and I'm like, oh, you missed the whole thing. But I got in trouble in the Paul section. <laughs> I was always in the, the teacher's office. Because, <laughs> anyway, 9-1. <clears throat> I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I would wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Never forget that's Paul's attitude about the Jews. They were his kinsmen. It broke his heart to see them not only reject the little flock's message in the twelve, but then to reject him and to, and to withstand him and to throw him to the wolves, if you will. Okay, it broke his heart. But what did they need? They need to hear the gospel. So in chapter 9, you have their past. <clears throat> chapter 10, their past. <laughs> Basically, in chapter 9, what you come to understand is that God was not unrighteous, that God was not wrong in setting Israel aside. Chapter 9, if you look there at verse number 31, chapter 9, 31. 30, I'm sorry, 930. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness hath attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Notice how Paul just kind of lays that indictment out there, softly, by the way, that the reason that God has gone to the Gentiles now is because Israel rejected it. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Chapter 10, their present condition. Their present condition is they need a preacher. They need to hear the gospel. That's why he goes through that whole section there about how can they hear except they have a preacher. And he goes and he, and he picks Old Testament so that the Jews would understand that. That what they need to, to go and do is to hear Paul's gospel. And that was their road and avenue to have salvation. Chapter 11. <clears throat> Chapter 11, here's Israel's future. God isn't through with Israel. You come across, and you just look real quickly at verse 25. 11.25, For I would not, brethren, 
that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, that fullness of the Gentiles is the body of Christ. Key word in that verse is the word until. They're blinded until what happens? The present program is done. Verse 26, when the present program is done, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant of them when I shall take away their sins, so forth. Okay? So in chapter 11, you have their future. God's not done with Israel. He's just blinded them temporarily. If you look back up in chapter 11, verse 11, by the way, these uh, 11, the key verses in this section are verse 11 and 12 here of chapter 11. I say, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Notice what's happening to them. Not only are they going to fall, they fell, Acts 7 with stoning of Stephen, they diminish away. And, and I don't put the chart up, but you will see that when we go through. That they be, And so from Acts 9 to 28, Israel diminishes, becomes less and less of the conversation. Actually, Paul starts there on the road to Damascus. He's in Palestine. He's saved. He's converted. He goes, Galatians 1, he goes and spends some time back on the desert down there, gets the revelations, begins to get some stuff going. He's out preaching to the Gentiles. There's some Gentile churches established. And the next thing you know, he starts his, his apostolic journeys, and he's moving further and further away from Jerusalem. They're not the issue anymore. So much so that in Acts 28, he's in, he's in Rome under a hired house, <laughs> house arrest. He's that far away. He's all the way down to the boot. He's gone. It's moved. That's their... That's their but he, he says he just blinded them in part. Very soft with Israel. It's very interesting. Then you come to chapter 12. Chapter 12 to 16 <coughs> is the application section. <coughs> and the key verses here are the first two verses in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now, you're going to have an application of... Pillar number two, this is pillar one, here's pillar two, pillar three, and pillar four. And pillar four is going to reach back up into your identity and say, because this is who you are in Christ, here's how you're going to interact with the world around you. Okay? When people, well, I was talking about a minute ago, they move from, the, from getting saved to wanting to go serve, Verse 1 and 2, 
then it becomes a mess. They don't have any identity doctrine in them. See? So the book of Romans is geared to go from one to the other. It's geared to work right down through. That's why he says, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore. What's the there, therefore? Based on 11 chapters of doctrine, foundational doctrine and understanding, we're now going to talk about how you're going to go and live, practically live the details of your life. So how do we do that? Well, he starts. There's a service issue here in verse 3 down to about verse 8. There's some, ser- there's some ministry for you to have and to be a part of in the local assembly. Then he starts in verse 9, Let love be without uh, dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another. So now we're going how, how to, how to act amongst ourselves, <laughs> you know. That, that's a wonderful thing there. You know, we're going to rejoice, verse 15, with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Well, how do you know to rejoice and to weep? You've got to have what? A relationship. You've got to have fellowship. You've got to be around people. How many of you would have never, you would have, none of you would have never known that I had the accident Tuesday night unless I did what? Told you. See? And I told you, because I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding of why we had to cancel Tuesday night and Wednesday night, you know. And then rumors start, and then, you, you know, you get all a mess. So we just, and plus, I wanted you guys to know, okay? But how do you know that? You only know that because I know you, you know me, and we're together. Then in chapter, verse 17 to 21, here's how you're going to deal with your enemies. Here's how you're going to deal with those people on the outside. Sometimes we come together, we kind of think we're in a cocoon, you know. The, the weekend, the conference is a cocoon. You know, you, you didn't watch TV, you were here. You didn't do stuff, you were here, right? And so you get kind of a wonderful day, a wonderful weekend, and then Monday you go back to work and it's like, hey, alrighty, alrighty. You get a little taste of heaven, you know, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you, what's that? It was a bummer, exactly, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you have that. Then you start in verse thir- chapter 13. What's he talk about in the first nine, seven verses there? Uh-oh, our relationship to government around us. The relationship there that we're to have. Some are politically active, others aren't. That's okay. Have the right attitude about it. And we've looked at these seven verses quite a bit, actually. But because you want to be a good citizen, in the land that you're in. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're on foreign land here. I know you were born. I'm an American, Rick. I know you are. I mean, come on. You know? But you're, and spiritually, you're an ambassador for Christ. You, you're, by the way, you're not your own anymore. He bought you with the price. Okay? He paid the price for you. But you're here. As an ambassador, you need to, you need to go by the rules of the land. You need to understand that. It's, it's a whole different way about... You know, Alexa, turn on the lights. Oh, the government's listening. You know, come on. So what if they are? What are they going to get on you? You know? I'm, I'm, I, well, maybe some of you. Maybe they shouldn't be. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I understand. Everybody's got their own thing. I, but I think about that, and, and I don't want them listening to me either. Believe me, okay? They'll probably throw me in jail for preaching because 
I walk around the house preaching most of the time. Nobody's home when I do that because my wife and my youngest think I'm nuts already as it is. So, But the thing of it is, is how, there's how you have that interaction with them, okay? And, and government can be oppressive. I got that. I understand that. But that's the attitude to have. Then we're going to work with our neighbors. Chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. How do you come across people who are weaker in the faith than you? We call this the weaker brother principle. How do you deal with someone that you know stuff, you've been in the word, rightly divided a long time, longer than others, and then they come up. And Paul uses some terminology, and he uses some illustrations on how to apply it. Verse 4, I, I, I read through this, I read this chapter about once every quarter just to remind myself of the attitude we're to have. Because he comes in and he, he verse 2, For one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. You know, it's a, to me it's fascinating Paul talks about eating <laughs> and food, you know. But you can really stick anything into these. Who are thou, verse 4, who are thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteem one day above another, and another esteem every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Do you see the thing here? One guy doesn't understand you can eat everything. So he's eating the herbs over here. He's on the limited diet. In other words, he hasn't come out dispensationally understanding the dietary law change. But he's doing it to who? He's doing it to the Lord. Don't jump all over that guy. Don't beat him up about that. Okay? So now, if you're this guy over here eating Israel's program, don't you run over here and jump on the guy that's eating everything. See, the weaker brother has no right to hold the stronger brother accountable either. Follow that? So there's accountability in both camps to be where you're at. The accountability, or the, 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 the really of it is that the stronger brother is to come over to the weaker brother, show him the verses, and bring him to an understanding of, hey, we can eat whatever we want. But if it doesn't work that way, don't jump on each other <laughs> and beat each other up. There's supposed to be this issue about of some one-anotherings here, okay? That's why he'll say in verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why doest thou, I'm sorry, dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Hey, the, 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 the main judge will get it done one day. Right now in time, we're to have some unity. But when you're jumping on everybody, okay. Now, this is doctrinally here. That's why later in chapter 16, he'll say, if they're walking contrary to the doctrine. This is how you're going to interact. How do I interact with a weaker brother, someone who doesn't know? And there's some things you guys know more about than I do. 
There just is. Because you look at things, study things different. So if we have a, the attitude, that's what he's after. That goes all the way into chapter 15. Then he begins in chapter 15 there about verse 4. And whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And he begins to talk there about the relationship now between the Jew and the Gentile in the new age, in the new, in the new dispensation. And then he goes on and he talks about his apostleship, his plans. He was going to Spain. He wanted to get out and to do. Whether he did it, we'll never know until we see him in heaven and ask him, hey, did you get to Spain? Did you get around and all that? And he'll say what he did. Scripture is, very, is quiet on that. I know the theologians and the historians all hypothesize you know, on all that junk, but when you come to Scripture, we don't know if he got there or not. We know that the Polynesians and the Waldensians did. We know those guys did, but we don't know if he did. Then in chapter 16, he literally tries to close the book three times. <laughs> okay? He starts by commending, them to, commending Phoebe to him. She's got the book. Ladies, don't ever think you're not worth in the body of Christ, in the local church. You have worth. Paul handed to her the book of Romans to deliver to the church at Rome to the saints there. Now, I'm sure when he handed it to her, he said, don't lose it. <laughs> it's the only one I got. <laughs> you know, not really, but anyway. <clears throat> I didn't lose my humor in the accident, folks. <laughs> okay. So the, huh, that's too bad. <laughs> oh, man. <coughs> oh. Paul, hurting me, man, hurt. Then he begins to greet people and to salute people. Um, I will, uh, you'll notice that, like in verse 5, likewise greet the church that is in their house. A lot of these are churches that meet in homes because under Rome authority, they, uh, church organizations could not own property. Okay, we know that they met publicly. They met in the school of Tyrannius and so forth and house to house. It's, it is the local church doing what the local church needed to do. It is not a mandate for us to do today in the 20-whatever century this is. Okay? You'll notice that he, as he goes down through, he will, <coughs> verse 7. Here's a verse that gets a lot of anchor. Salute Andronicus and Juna, my kinsmen. So what, if they're my kinsmen, what would they be? Jewish, okay? And my fellow prisoners, who are a note among you, um, among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Uh-oh, there's people in Christ before Paul? Blah, blah. Well, no kidding, duh. What do you think the little flock was? You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's the two categories of humanity. That little, that little flock was in Christ. They weren't in Adam. They were in Christ. If you don't believe that, you can go study the book of John. He says, hey, I'm leaving, and you're in me, and I'm in you, and we're all in the Father, and we're all good to go. People like to use that to say Paul's just continuing what was taught by the apostles. So you got the first, the first attempt to say the amen 
is at is there at the in the end of chapter 15 verse 33 now the god of peace be with you all amen see how he ended it there then you got the second one here at the end of verse 24 the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen and then he adds on more at the, in verse 25 26 27 to god only wise be glory through jesus christ forever amen so he had three three opportunities to close up the book and he finally gets it done and we're glad he did and we're glad what he did but those are the four pillars <clears throat> these are also I, I did this with you last time that thing in verse 25 the issue of my gospel so we're gonna build my gospel right then we're going to build the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, right? That starts with the doctrinal book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and then we're going to build on top of that the scriptures of the prophets. That's that wonderful book, uh, the books of Thessalonians. Remember we did that? We're just kind of looking down from the top. I don't have any color chalk or outside of did it in pink, but... That's what we're doing. But it starts with this foundation of my gospel. And what my gospel says is that there's a death side. Sorry. Chapters 1 through 5, dead to the old man and alive. You're justified. Israel has been blinded and set apart and then we have a life side a new identity of who we are in Christ and then how to go live does that mean it's a mess but how to go live in everyday life so Calvary has two sides the death side and the life side that's what Romans is going to present your life has a death side and a life side you die to yourself, and you live to Christ. Okay? All right. Next week, we'll start verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. One word, Paul. We'll get one word done next week. Okay? <coughs> All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the study of it, for the fellowship that we have around it, and who we are in your Son. In your name we pray.